Awesome. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Can everyone hear me? <laughs> okay. Uh, welcome to Zenful Conversations. For information on future guest speakers and our Zoom, other many Zoom offerings, please visit zenfulconversations.com. My name is Zenjen Brown. I'm your host, and we're here today with our guest speaker, Diane Cressman. Diane, thank you so very much for being here with us today. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. Um, let me give you a little bit about Diane. Diane Cressman is the author of Zenergy Mindfulness. Zenergy Mindfulness. She's also a licensed mental health counselor, has a master's degree in social work from Georgia State University, and is certified in clinical hypnotherapy and energy psychology. Diane has also received certification from the Association of Energy Psychology in 2013 and has practiced meditation and mindfulness training with Zen Buddhist monks for the past seven years or so. We're here today to talk with Diane about mindfulness, energy healing, and her first book, Zenergy Mindfulness. Um, this is the, this described as the intersection of Buddhist and energy psychology for mental health and wellness. Diane considers it an honor to empower clients by teaching them techniques to improve their mental health and overall sense of well-being. She says the alternative therapies practiced, including energy psychology, have been shown in clinical trials, trials to be effective treatments for a number of psychological conditions. And many people are seeking alternative therapy options due to the side effects of the medications and Diane finds combining traditional and alternative therapy provides a comprehensive and effective treatment for her clients. Her methods are eclectic, utilize interventions that range from classic to new age models. She also believes that in order to see improvements, you need to be an active participant in your own work. Diane says there's no one quite like you. Diane, thanks again for being here with us today. Oh, it's so nice. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm very passionate, you know, about my work and um, I just see the, the, the suffering of, of so many people and our communities and, and that type of thing. So I just um, doing what I can in my corner of the world to uh, make alleviate that as much as I can. All right. I hear you. Information on how to connect with Diane directly will be shared at the end of this conversation, as well as in the follow-up email to all the registrants, which will go out tomorrow. Um, Diane, in in your in reference to the side effects of the psychotropic medications that was mentioned in your bio, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, um, we probably have all seen the commercials. You, you know. Um, so, for example, this medicine for depression may cause suicide thoughts, which is an un, you know sad irony for the medicine that you're taking for uh, depression. It might cause suicidal thoughts. Um, you know, sometimes just the intensity. Uh, people that go on psychotropic meds, they find uh, either the intensity of their symptoms gets um, like escalated. Or uh, the, often what people complain about too is just kind of a numbness. You know, they're not feeling the, um, maybe their depression as much or their anxiety as much, but they're not feeling anything. And um, some folks that, uh, many folks that I've worked with that want to get off of the medication um, list that as one of the cause, you know, they, they, they're just tired of feeling numb. One, one of the interesting things, you know, about medicine, and um, I used to be pretty, um, I don't know, I guess like uh, I was in the camp of never psychotropic meds, but I've come off of that and I'm, I'm a more middle of the road uh, clinician. I feel like there are some times that they're needed and, um, but what I do not agree with is that they are the first line of defense for um, mental and emotional problems. 
Um, and, and I think that's how they're being used, utilized. I also want to point out the, you know, um, mental health. So our emotions, say, say our happiness, we can pick any emotion. Uh, if, you know, we are treating mental health from the same fundamental perspective as we treat physical health, which is a mechanicalistic approach. In other words, if you have something wrong with the heart or the ear or whatever on the body, there is a, an organ, you know, it has very objective quantitative things about it. It's a certain size, it's beating so many times a minute, that kind of thing. Well, with happiness, how do we measure that? If we're gonna do surgery on someone's happiness, where, where do we make the incision? And the answer is who the heck knows, but we're, we're treating it, the, the model of treatment is from this mechanicalistic point of view perspective, which right out of the gate is, is a, does not make sense. <laughs> Um, in fact, the first psychotropic med that was used in the 1950s was actually a medication for um, mm, tuberculosis. It had nothing to do with mental health at all. It just gave people energy. And at the time in the 1950s, psychiatrists were because there weren't any. And so they weren't making the, the big money as, as other MDs. And, uh, you know, this, this medicine for TB gave people energy and psychiatrists said, well, hey, our depressed people need energy. They're, they're very lethargic and they don't do anything. And that's kind of how the ball, ball got rolling. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. I know there's a couple ladies said they needed to leave early today. So I just want to see if anybody has any questions they'd like to ask right away at the beginning here. Do you have any questions you'd like to ask? We're on, everybody's on mute, so I can't hear anybody if they do. I'm good at this point. Okay, great, great. Um, thank you, Diane. Let me, let's just stay with your bio for another question, please. Uh, the energy psychology, can you explain that for our listeners? Yes, so energy psychology uses um, subtle energy systems of, that are thought in Eastern traditions to be in the body. So for example, the meridian system and the chakra system in order to make improvements in our physical and mental health. So uh, it also brings in um, other parts of psychotherapy that are more recognized in, in Western uh, modalities, such as the left and right hemisphere. You know, we have a left and right hemisphere. So if someone, uh, for example, is suffering from like a lot of racing thoughts and they can't control or they can't calm down their mind, um, one thing that can might help is to help balance the energy, or we could say, if we wanted to discuss this from a neurobiological point of view, we could say balancing the amount of neurons that are firing right on the left and right hemisphere. That's more of a Western psychotherapy verbiage. Uh, but we know from, you know, you just have to look at the MRI uh, from a stroke victim to know if a stroke has happened on the right side of the body, the stroke has happened on the left side of the brain. We've known that for a long time. So there are things that you can do to balance the left and right parts of the body. So I, I guess what I'm saying in, um, in the um, energy psychology, the EP, uh, one of the reasons I went with the training from the Association of Comprehensive Energy Psychology is because much of their, um, their modalities are research-based. So as a licensed clinician, I can go and get continuing education credits from the Association of Comprehensive Energy Psychology. I cannot go and get um, continuing educations for like Reiki. I'm not knocking Reiki. I'm just saying there hasn't been enough clinical trials that the boards will recognize it and I can get CEUs in that. So um, what you're doing is you're uh, using the subtle energy systems of the body in order to help uh, improve 
um, mental health problems by manipulating those energies. Yeah, it's not the easiest thing to explain. <laughs> it, it's not. Is there, a, is there a part of that explanation that like feels too abstract to you all? And, and No, no. We, we, we've, we've been having conversations for four years. Uh, there's a private Facebook group that I believe you're part of now. And we've been having, we have conversations every day. It's much like this without the guest speaker. It's just me coming live and we talk about different things. Sometimes we've been reading from your book, et cetera. Um, and we've been talking about this, the, the way and, and to use energy to improve our life or enjoy our experience of life, whatever, raise our vibes and all of this stuff for the past four years. And I just really realized that it was energy psychology in recently. Over wow. the, past, the past few guest speakers mentioned this energy psychology and I'm like, my mind is latched onto that and that's okay. where I'm at now. So now I'm checking into that uh, certification that you're talking about actually. Too. Oh, awesome. Good. That's so <laughs> wonderful. Uh, yeah. So it's just, it, it's been challenged to me to put it into words of what it all is, mm -hmm. you know, for people that like, well, what are you talking about? You know? Well, one, one reason that it's difficult to put into words is because uh, the very things that we're talking about are ineffable. In other words, there are no words or concepts really to capture. Okay, so we, right, one, one of my Zen teachers used to say, the minute we begin trying to talk about this, we've made a huge mistake. But we communicate through words. So we'll do the best we can. <laughs> we'll try. But understand that whatever concept, whatever words that we're using is going to be inadequate. How would one describe the energy of happy, feeling happy, as opposed to feeling lethargic? Well, and it, it, it's based on my perception of all of it anyway. That is true, too. Um, but there's probably at some point we can kind of all agree that there's a certain type of quality to it right? Yeah. So uh, when you're talking about changing someone's energy and you're saying, I can't find the words, well, that's because there are no words that yeah, will so adequate, adequately do it. You can do the best you can, but it's going to be lacking. It's really fascinating. Uh, one more here in your bio, it says you've had meditation and mindfulness trainings, training with Zen Buddhist monks for the past seven years what what kind of experience was that is that some kind of loveliness that you could share with us it sounds beautiful my children would say i'm a monk stalker <laughs> so nice i find a monk or see a nun or a monk and i begin stalking so that's been part of the experience uh the other the no um really what what happened is um it's probably been 10 years now. I, I had an office. I'm in suburban Atlanta and um, outside of my window, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was a Buddhist monastery and I would see the monks outside walking. And um, I don't know, I, I was fascinated just by watching them walk to the mailbox. I, I would look at them and think, I want to go through life with the same, in the same way with the same peace that they seem to be. And I, it just was fascinating to me. So one day I just went over there, I stopped and one thing led to another and I kind of got plugged into the various um, monasteries that are in Atlanta. And there, there are a few, um, several of the, I would say most of them are from the Zen tradition, um, but the Zen traditions of Buddhism can be quite different depending upon if the, um, if it's coming from Korea or, uh, Vietnam has a very big influence. Um, the Zen temples that are, that with the monastics are from Vietnam are normally from the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh. I don't know yeah. if you guys are familiar with Thich Nhat Hanh as opposed to um, some of the Zen traditions coming from Korea, um, those can be um, from a tradition of a Cohen practice. I, are you familiar with that? No, I'm, I am more familiar with Thich Nhat Hanh. Yeah, um, so a Cohen tradition um, is when you meditate. So a Cohen is like a riddle that has no answer. 
uh, and that's what you meditate on. And so people would say, well, why in the heck would you do that? And the reason is, is because if you meditate for long enough on something that has no answer or that's ineffable, you come to a point where you realize the inadequacies of all your thinking. You, you get to a point where you recognize the inadequacies of all your concepts. And then hopefully um, ego begins to melt away. So that, that's a little bit different practice. To me, that is, it's a harder kind of, I, I've had more difficulty with, with that practice. Um, so yeah, I, I just kind of um, hop around to different temples and um, take instruction from, have taken instruction from monks and Zen masters in these different traditions over the years. It's been that's very beneficial. Oh life-changing darling eh <laughs> and life and indeed no yeah, yeah yeah and oh, then yeah. I went in 2019 yeah 2019 I um was lucky enough to go to Thich Nhat Hanh's uh, I call it the mothership the uh first monastery that he opened in France and and took the um five mindfulness trainings there and got my uh buddha name they they give you like when you go through that they kind of give you like a kind of the same thing of baptism in the christian tradition kind of being reborn you get a new right. name yeah right that's that's really awesome awesome my travels have not brought me there at this at this point anyway right yeah, yeah uh, so do you, do you I said, my travels haven't bought, brought me anywhere like that, at least oh. not yet at this point. That sounds beautiful, though. What's your it name? sounds lovely. What's your name? Um, my name is Compassion, let's see, Compa Compassionate Heart of Understanding. Oh, wow. Compassionate Heart of Understanding. I'm going to go write that <laughs> one down. Compassionate. That's nice. I like that. Yeah, I like it's that a, a lot. Actually, you guys are, um, Jen, I know you're in Florida. I don't know where the rest of your listeners are, but actually Thich Nhat Hanh has also got a um, monastery in Mississippi. I don't know how close, it's closer than France. Um, <laughs> and uh, I actually went there too for a, um, a retreat. It's uh, Magnolia Grove is the name of the uh, monastery. <coughs> It is just lovely. It is so nice. If, if you know, any of you guys are ever um, looking to yeah. try to plug into a retreat, it's close and it, it's just beautiful. It was wonderful there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that didn't happen one day, a uh, field trip to something like that. We do field trips, but they are a lot more local, but I wouldn't be surprised it didn't grow into that. Um, yeah. do, you, do you want to talk about, um, there's so much, we could really, really talk for days on this. Uh, the, the whole book really is loaded with so much information. And we're talking about the book's energy mindfulness, which actually a couple of the ladies have purchased it. And I think it's a very good reference book. I think it's loaded with great information and Thank you. factual and straightforward. I really do like it. Um, we could talk about either the benefits, uh, meditation is benefits and different techniques, or we could talk a little bit about self-love and healthy boundaries. Your call. Let's do, yeah, let's do a little bit of self-love and healthy boundaries on page 30. Um, it talks about that self-love and ha healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. You know, a good portion of the, the ladies that, that come by and listen to those, to the messages, um, are givers. Yeah. And, and some of them, I mean, like, uh, I'm a recovering people pleaser myself, but coming back from the dead almost, right? So uh, it's about not these boundaries and this, yeah. Can you talk about that, please? Yeah, um, you know, and I think that, um, you know, females even more than males are conditioned to, um, because of our culture. So we're conditioned to be more submissive. 
And so I think that um, boundaries is um, normally, this is very, very broad stroke, okay? But normally, uh, for example, the clients that I work with, with females, I have to coach them on turning up their level of firmness because we tend to be so submissive. And if I'm working with a male on setting healthy boundaries, I have to coach him on turning it down because mm -hmm. the level of firmness is always something to be um, considered. So for example, my level of firmness, if I'm setting a boundary with like a uh, four or five rule with a child, you know, normally children want to please their adults, you know, until puberty hits. But <laughs> so nor normally uh, with, with the child, a very gentle approach is, is enough, very, very gentle. If, if there is a power differential, you're setting a boundary with someone and there's a great power differential, the level of firmness needs to be considered. But it's always something that we have to, to consider, like what, what is the right amount of firmness in, in setting the boundary? Does this need a light touch? Or do I need to, ha has my touch been a little too heavy? Do I need to turn it down? Or do, you know, do I need to be a little bit more firm? And um, I think being firm uh, can include a couple things. You know, well, how do I be more firm? Well, one thing, be clear be very clear about what you're asking for. Um, I think that aligning yourself with that energy can be very good. So having confidence, you know, and for something like that, if you felt like lack of confidence was a problem, you could do, you know, you could do a round of tapping on that. Um, yeah, and I, and I think just, you know, um, keeping in mind that sometimes setting a boundary with somebody will especially if you do it skillfully and with the right amount of firmness, it might be something, a very loving act. You know, if you can let somebody know, um, look, this thing keeps happening. And when it happens, you're shooting yourself in, in the foot. It's creating a lot of suffering for you. Have you ever noticed that or considered that or something like that? Um, you can be helping that person to see their own suffering. That's, that's part of the boundaries too. It, it's not like a win-lose thing. Yeah, well, I, I, sometimes, I mean, we're talking about, it depends on the person, I think, really, too, in their fragile, delicate ego or not. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah. That, that's kind of a power, you know, that can be in, in the power thing. So, you know, if it, it's somebody with a very delicate ego um, or very low self-esteem, then that needs to be considered when you're setting a boundary. And, um, you know, one, one thing about the ego that's really important, I think, for us to recognize is that, and, and this is one of the concepts in Buddhist psychology that's been very beneficial is to understanding when the ego is not healthy, well, how is it unhealthy? And that can be either an inferiority complex, which is what you're referring to, mm -hmm. or it can be a superiority complex. And most of us bounce from one to another. In fact, and noticing my own ego, I have noticed, I have had inner thoughts that have been both the inferiority complex and the superiority complex all in the same thought. It's not either or all the time. It, it can be very nuanced. You know, I can remember not too long ago um, talking about suffering, just going through something and um, thinking, nobody knows suffering like my suffering. Nobody knows pain like my pain. No one could possibly understand what I'm going through. That, that screams brokenness, doesn't it? I am so well, broke. So no, nobody can, I'm so broken. But it's also superiority complex. Like who the heck am I? <laughs> you know, to, to think that nobody has had endured pain like I have had, is it, it, it's pretty inflated. Right. So <clears throat> if you know the person well enough, when you're setting a boundary, 
to have a sense of what their ego is like, yeah, you can adjust it like that. So someone with a very frail ego, I think it would be just very important, make it very clear that, you know, this is coming from a place of love. This is coming from a place of compassion. And I want us to be, I want you to be good. I want us to be good. And can we talk about this? Yeah, I would think, I would think to me, I always have to watch the seed of caring about their feelings more than my own. <laughs> oh, yes. So, so I think, um, you know, because you're dipping down with the energy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I just think there's a lot, there's a lot to that. There's a lot to that. You did mention the EFT tapping. That's something else that's come up with the past three, four of our guest speakers. Do you want to give a little input conversation about that? Yeah. Um, so um, I would like to say that uh, when folks are um, using tapping, uh, that the um, clinical trials that I've mentioned that are listed on the Association of Energy Psychology or ASAP, on the ASAP website, um, some of the strongest research pertains to the benefits of tapping. The reason I'm saying that is because there is such a thing as a placebo effect, correct? There's such a thing as, as um, we could call it the biology of belief. So if we believe that something is going to work, in some, in some studies, it shows that it, it boosts the efficacy of that very treatment. Now, we need to be careful we don't get into magical thinking because that, that's, another, that's another topic. But if we can kind of you know, lift our energy to the point of, okay, there, there's something to this. Maybe I don't quite understand it, but I'm open to whatever benefits I might realize. That's kind of bringing in a positive um, placebo effect. So I just like to remind um, people of that. I think it's a good way. Another way to say that is intention. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, the, the tapping is um, there's, so in, in the book, I, what I do is um, one meridian point per uh, meridian system. So like the, this here at the right at the tip of the eyebrows is the bladder meridian, gallbladder, stomach, um, governing central kidney meridian, and, and different meridians are associated with different emotions. So the, the kidney meridian, for example, when it, so if someone were to come in with anxiety disorder, anxiety disorder, the meridian that would be the most um, suspicious for having energy off would be the kidney meridian. It's associated with um, anxiety. So um, what, what you can do is uh, a couple different protocols is you can just do a, a general tapping that's tapping one meridian point on each of the meridian channels, or um, you can learn the path of each of the channels. Um, so for example, the, the stomach meridian, which it starts right here, like if you're looking straight ahead, right below the pupils, the uh, stomach comes down the face and it kind of curves over. It's coming down the chest till it goes right over the nipples. I know you can't see, but coming right down the middle line over the nipples, straight down, straight like the midline of the front of the body and it's ending at the toes. And it has different meridian, uh, it has different points along the body. This is where, when you go to get acupuncture where the needles go on these points. Okay, and so, um, if there was a particular channel that seemed to be, um, maybe you were suspicious or something that it, it was um, involved in a particular emotional um, state that, that you were trying to overcome, you could learn the whole channel and tap the whole channel. And, or if you went to a practitioner, 
uh, I use kinesiology, which is, are y'all familiar with kinesiology? Okay. So, um, you know, if I, if you were to activate this, this channel and I were to muscle test you, if there is no problem in, in that meridian channel, the arm will weaken because we've created a circuit and it's going to weaken. If it stays strong as you're activating that channel, the muscles stay strong. Now I know this is where we need to tap. But the, th the thing that's good about this is that if you're hitting the wrong spot, no harm, no foul. There's no, there's not any side effects that we know of. So, right. Yeah. Stimulate, you, you, stimulation all the way. I just wanted to point out that in your book, Zenergy Mindfulness, you do have uh, a whole, you have all the, right. um, the gallbladder, the different parts of the body. Right. And then there's, there's like uh, 18, 19, 20 pages, 19 or 20 pages on this EFT tap tapping. It has a lot of a uh, lot of information there as to what to do for what. Mm -hmm. um, I do think this is a pretty good a pretty good book. I really do a pretty good reference book, though. Um, any questions on that from anybody? I'm I'm. Now you're on mute. Sorry, I I'm sorry, but I have to leave. But I I appreciate you you um, coming and speaking to us. It's fascinating. I'll I'll listen to the recording, but I. I have to go. <laughs> All right. Thank you so thank much you for, for coming. Thank, thank you for thank coming. You. Okay. Bye. Thank you for coming. Bye. Thank you. Uh, mind, let's, if you don't mind, uh, just for a minute or two more, a couple few more minutes. Mindfulness of body, chapter five. Chapter five. Uh, let me get to that page. Mindfulness of body. Our body is always in the present moment. It's our mind that vacates the premises. Yeah. Want to talk about that? Um, <clears throat> well, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess the mind vacates the premises. Where does it go? It goes to the past or it goes to the future. The body is always here. And um, the practice of mindfulness of the body um, if you're going to begin a, a formal sitting meditation practice um, focusing on the body is in my opinion probably one of the best places to start why because it's tangible the physical body is tangible um, trying to have deep insights about what the mind is doing, you, you may or may not be correct. It depends upon your level in, of insightfulness. And sometimes we're very insightful about certain things, but then about other thinking patterns or relationships or whatever, we, we can be not very insightful. So the, the body does not have that degree of intangibleness that the, um, that the mind has. So um, yeah, it's just a good way to always, it's always here, you know, it's always in the present now and the present moment. So if you want to anchor yourself, come, come into your body. What, what do you know about your body right now? Right. Tell, tell me, I'd like to hear from everybody. What do you know about your body right now? Cheryl, Jody, any of you guys want to talk about anything? Okay. Uh, I can do it. What I know about Jody, go ahead. I didn't get enough sleep last night. That's what I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And I've been racing around all day and then I finally sit down. I'm like, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> <want> so, sleep. <laughs> so you have some fatigue in your body? Yeah, just not not fatigue. It's it's just being sleepy because I don't I I have a really hard time sleeping. Oh you know, okay. I, I, I always have, but as I age, it's really gotten oh goodness. Yeah, it's just gotten more okay. detrimental to my health than it used to be. <laughs> so um yeah, I really have a hard time. So, um, if you were I, to if you were to describe the ineffable qualities in your body of lack of sleep, 
Is there any, is there anything that comes, is there any adverb or any quality that comes? Does it feel more slow or fast? This quality of lack of sleep, does it feel more slow or more fast? I'm always going. Always so I going. I don't notice it. And now that I sat down, it's just when it, now I, now I, I notice it. So, so uh, right now it's got a quality of like lethargy, sluggishness. Yeah, it's not, my body's not tired. My, it's my mind. It's, oh, your mind feel, and you feel it more in your mind. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's just not sharp. I'm, yeah, I'm Cheryl too. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, uh, you know me, uh, everyone does. I'm always in a lot of pain. <laughs> oh. I have a lot of pain and inflammation. And so I don't know um, how you can. Uh, use your mind to um, deal with that. Yeah, Cheryl. Let me let me give you a um, let let me let me try um, to help you because it it can mindfulness practice can help with pain. Um, in the um, one of one of the practices in 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 meditation is. Um, noticing the distinction between it's called panati insight and paramatha insight okay panati insight is just very kind of basic awareness just very basic so for example i have pain and i know i have pain mm -hmm. i have pain in the elbow for example and, and i know i have pain i know the intensity of the pain is whatever on a scale of one to ten right now it's a seven okay Paramatha insight begins to notice the qualities of that pain without getting caught up in the content, the, the mental attachments or the mental concepts or, or, or the um, judgments around the pain. And I know that is a tall order, <laughs> but I've touched it. I, I have touched it before. I can't sustain it in my practice, not yet, but I have touched it before. Not, not, mine has not been um, with physical pain. Mine has been more with emotional pain. But this is what it kind of is. And again, I want to remind you guys, the moment we try to talk about this, we've made a huge mistake. We've made a huge mistake, but this is how we communicate. So I'll try. So I'm thinking of physical pain and I'm thinking um, it has more of a quality of uh, tightness as opposed to spaciousness. It has a quality temperature wise, more heat mm -hmm. than cool. Yeah. It has a quality of rigidness as opposed to spaciousness. It, it has a quality of, of endurance rather than impermanence. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so that's kind of an idea of, of what the Paramatha insight would look like. Now, why that is beneficial is because instead of all the content that comes with, with the mind, um, this is pain. Oh my gosh, what's happening? I wonder what's wrong. Why can't the doctors help me? That's kind of how the mind starts working it, right? We go down the rabbit hole of thinking. Exactly. Yep. Yes. You're changing the object of your mind. You're changing the object of your mind from all that content to the Paramatha insights. And it relieves the suffering. Does that make sense? It, it actually it does it's a totally um different concept i've never even thought of it that way yeah yes yes it is a completely different concept yeah interesting mm -hmm. very nice pain is why i don't sleep <laughs> yeah well myself i'm like you i i barely <laughs> sleep and i have to take a lot of i take drugs just so that i can sleep so that i can work i should i should but i don't <laughs> yeah i do i do because i have a, a stressful high pace type of job and 
if I don't function, I won't have that job anymore. So I, I, it's, I, it's necessary right now, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe when I retire, I can do things differently. Yeah. So if if you guys um, do a a sitting practice and and you try to do this Panati Paramatha insight practice, I, I want to let you know, you have to be quite diligent in the practice because the mind has, well, I should say the ego. The ego has an attachment to all that content. Mm -hmm. There's an attachment to it. And, And allowing that to just melt away and just noticing the qualities of these things that it takes, it takes a lot of discipline. It, it, it's easier to, to me, the practice is just very much, it's very, uh, it's much easier to just bring mindfulness to the body. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I, I'm, I'm saying kind of know what the different practices are and do which one is going to be the most beneficial for you. So if your mind is just so racy and, and you're like, I, I am just right now too in it. I am too like with my emotional pain. Some days I am just too attached to my suffering. I am too attached to the idea that no one knows pain like my pain. Other days I feel like that. So if I'm having a day like that, I practice mindfulness of the body. Why? Because it's very tangible. What do I know about my body right now? I know I'm sitting. I know that my hands are folded. I know that my fingers have a little coolness to them. I know I'm breathing. How do I know I'm breathing? Because I feel things happening. I know I'm seeing. How do I know that? Because I see I, I see form and color. I know I'm hearing. I know I'm, I'm I know my body is receiving uh, sensory input right now. That's that's very tangible. Paramatha insight's a little harder. You have to almost be like in the right headspace to practice, mm-hmm. to practice that. But it, it it can be very beneficial. Yeah, well, it makes sense. It does. It just brings you to the present moment. So the, the yeah the monkey mind turns off. Yeah, well, I know you know bringing the, the hands and the sensations and that it's grounding. Yeah, for sure, but. Uh, I love how you described that so clearly. I'm, I think uh, I've told you, Jen, before that I hear your voice in my head saying, relax your jaw, relax. I do, I do too. I do, I do that at, yes, every time. <laughs> I do it at night when I'm laying in, in bed <laughs> trying. So maybe it's similar. It's like I'm trying to focus on that to, to, uh, let the other things go and maybe that's why that portion um is my favorite (laughs) because i have so many issues with my body everywhere yeah but you know it's a practice it's a practice and you know it depends how much and i and it's a practice not not even taking on much more stress you know we had to be mindful of how we go through our days to even not take on even more, you know, notice where you're holding the tension because we accumulate more every single day, you know? So um, it's the practice of, of, it's just a practice of our whole life is a practice. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, probably of all the obstacles with my clients, because I, I teach everyone that comes through the door how to meditate. And um, <clears throat> probably the biggest obstacle is folks just don't, don't have the discipline or something I don't know to do to do the practice I I would say maybe a third of of the clients will really embrace the practice and by embrace it I mean like sit do a sitting formal sitting meditation every day and um here's here's the thing that's puzzling to me there are days that I don't want to go to my pillow. There are days I don't want to go and sit. Why? Because my mind wants to race. My mind feels like that things to do list is so important and I want to stay focused. Okay. And there's some discomfort, maybe. There is some discomfort in going and having that discipline of sitting. Mm -hmm. 
But people make the mistake of thinking that, okay, I'm going to, I'm not going to go sit and therefore I'm going to, I'll avoid this discomfort. You're not avoiding any discomfort. Mm. <laughs> You're maybe avoiding the discomfort of getting on your pillow, but you are not avoiding the discomfort of your racing mind. So see it clearly. Actually, we're causing more discomfort by not chilling. By the not doing out. Our, yeah, by when we're lazy or, or whatever, or not disciplined or whatever it might be, we convince ourselves by saying, oh, I'm, I'm avoiding that. I, I get to avoid that. You're not avoiding anything. No, because actually that release for me, anyway, when I practice, uh, releases tension from my body, from my mind, everything. It allows yes. space. It allows space. And so now everything I do is going to come from that more relaxed space to when I don't do it, everything's frantic throughout the whole day, you know? Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's like that. That's, uh, that's really something. Yeah. There's, um, there's chakras, feelings, emotions, dharma, quite seriously. We really could talk all day because this book is loaded and I cannot believe it's, it's only, um, 180, 180 pages, but you know, it, it's, it, it's a little dense. Maybe <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I go back and look at it and think, okay, I think I tried to put too much in this, but it, I, I appreciate your, um, I do. I really do appreciate. Well, your, I like um, it for a reference manual, uh, and for reading myself, it's, it's reading this to others. Um, I love that I could pull out little sections and talk about, but I think it's a fantastic book. And actually, uh, I'm, I'm going to continue to follow up with you. I'd like to, you know, uh, um, you know, want to talk to you about maybe doing something. Okay. Uh, any, any questions from anybody else? Anybody would like to say I, anything? I do. I have a couple, actually. Sure. Uh, sure. From when I was going, I have not come close to finishing your book because it, it is very deep, <laughs> but it's dense. But, it is. But, um, oh no. Well, it's our foundation. That's why it's deep because it, it's roots. You know, it has to be deep. It's our foundation. One sec. Sorry. I'm having a battery issue. I got to plug. Oh, one <laughs> I was just going to tell her that we had a, a 21 day meditation group. There was a lot of, and, I, I hope, mean, I hope I don't have to do it. And, and yet we had, all of us had the hardest time just trying to get it done every day. It was just, it was so yeah. hard that we made a commitment for 21 days. Not, I don't think any of us did it. Um, my, my, uh, my meditation I, practice changed during that. We, we did, we had a 21 day uh, we do these study groups, not all of us, but a, a handful, you know, a bunch of us do, a couple handfuls of us ladies do. And we had a 21 day meditation study, self study. And yeah, just making that commitment to that sit. I mean, not that, I mean, a lot of us, our whole life is mindful, but the sitting practices. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we spoke with the author of that book. And this has really just changed me that that group because that particular study because I I hey come on we were talking about meditation I'm like my meditation practice is not where it should be which is so judgmentally labeled and it makes you feel like you're not doing it well you're not this and you might as well forget the whole damn thing and I said that should and he's like could your meditation practice is not what it could be and then it made me feel like well yeah it could be this it could be that and it felt so different than should was like dead mm -hmm. end you loser you don't know how to do anything right and to where could it's like then I bought myself a little mat I mean my meditate this is this is my little meditation oh, yeah those, yeah that's lovely yeah and those meditation pillows if you're sitting for my pain starts coming at after about the 15 minute mark 15 20 minute mark so yeah investing in a good pillow is i would recommend that 
I, it's still not where it could be, but but I am en enjoying and that whole could be let me I, I put I put this on or one of, I put the purple one on because that's what uh, I was uh, anyway, it, it was some kind of ceremony that I went through and the mala beads and I and I really take a minute, you know, to get my energy good and I've turned it into a little celebration, which is really beautiful. Um, and that was all from that could <laughs> instead of should. Amazing, a minor reframe. That's amazing. They're powerful. Totally. I, I still have my question. <laughs> Sorry, oh, yeah, Cheryl. No, yeah. you, I just want to make sure you're good. Okay, go ahead. I plugged my. Uh, I got my thing plugged in. I'm good to go. Um, I'm. I'm just wondering. Um, you're. You. You mentioned something earlier, and you were talking about um, mindfulness and and working with other people. And so I jotted down a question here and I'm wondering, do you find the people that have that critical voice inside, um, do, do you find they judge others more or they become more defensive when you're dealing with them? See, I, I personally, I, I don't believe I have that voice that I I'm just never really criticized myself a lot I don't know I maybe I'm different from other people but um but I run come across people who are like that so I have a hard time understanding it so when I was reading your book I thought maybe that's do you think they have this inside voice that's criticizing them that makes them so defensive because they themselves are criticizing themselves is do you, do you find I, that? Um, you know, I don't know that I've ever looked at the connection. Uh, now you've given me something to ponder, but, um, you know, self-criticizing -critic is a mental process. <clears throat> Criticizing is a form of analysis. Yeah. And, uh, and, but it's analyzing something in a way that's looking for all the shortcomings. So if you get good at that, so whatever mental process you practice, you will get good at it. Whether that be judging or criticizing or, or forgiving or whatever. And um, so if you get good at that uh, critical, if you get good at criticizing, it can be turned internally, which is the critical voice or externally, which is very like a judgmental person. So yeah, I would think um, do critical, self-critical people get very defensive? I, I'll have to explore that. I know I had a session today with someone who's really very, very defensive, um, but but she doesn't strike me as being self-critical. She's 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 very critical and, and defensive regarding her relationship, but she kind of has there there there's some fodder there for her to be. <laughs> there's some fodder there for her to be kind of critical and kind of all that. So I, I that's an interesting question. Um, it is an interesting question. Very deep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, the, I'm always trying to figure that part out thinking, what is it that, you know, because I, I guess, because if you're not that way, um, I mean, I can be defensive as well, uh, the same as somebody else in a certain, uh, on a trigger subject, I guess, but there's yeah. some that are defensive over everything. And I often wonder, what is it? Mm -hmm. um, well, I would just yeah say the ego is involved um, and uh, some combination of a inferiority or superiority complex and keeping in mind if you can't figure it out, is that inferiority? Or superiority, it's it's maybe both arising at the same time. So your brain is looking for an answer. That's what that organ, this brain, yeah. it's like the eyes are an organ. What do they do? They see. The nose smells. The brain tries to find an answer, yeah. but there's not. Sometimes there's not an answer. Okay. So so when the inferiority and superiority complex are coming up at the same time, it's going to confuse the brain because it doesn't make sense to the brain. It's kind of like the subatomical particle called the quark. I think that's what they call it, a quark or quark. I think it's a quark. They found this particle that can exist in two places at the same time. That takes our concepts of time and space and blows it up. That's, that's what we're trying to get to. 
okay. our practice <laughs> and the concept of self blow it up. And, and for those of you that, that have, that suffer from uh, critical voice disorder, I make up disorder names all the time, by the way. So if, if I say that, you could, yeah, if I say that, you go, I've never heard of that before. I probably just made it up. Um, <laughs> so for those of for those of you who suffer from critical voice disorder, I, I would say this, I would appeal to your intellect. I would say the critical voice has a tone like a bully, doesn't it? The critical voice is not kind. It's not compassionate. It's harsh. It's threatening. It condemns. That's a bully. That's a bully sound. That's what the bully sounds like. Let me ask you guys this. Do you think a bully has a quality of intelligence or ignorance? Right. Are bullies intelligent or ignorant? I would say ignorant. They are, they are ignorant. Yes. I, I, if I'm going to condemn you because of the color of your hair or skin or the shoes you have, or that's ignorance, right? You are taking, when, when you listen and follow directions, and are um, persuaded by the critical voice, just know that you've chosen for your mentor, the village idiot. And I would say, my dear, you're smarter than that. If you're gonna have a mentor, if you're gonna take influence from something, be wise, be wise about who that is and what that is. See that it's kind, see that it's smart. The critical voice is ignorant. It's the, it's the village idiot. So when that starts up the ramping, pay it the same attention you would pay the village idiot. How would you treat the village idiot? I, I'm kind of dismissive. I don't have a village, but the neighborhood may be idiot or something. I'm, dismiss, I'm dismissive to that. I don't stop and give them my full attention and go, oh, tell me more. Mm. That's very interesting. It's very insightful. No, <laughs> just right. just be dismissive with it. Don't don't listen. And that's a practice too. Yes, yeah. imperative. Yeah, I would have a hard time with that. The trick is just catching it to begin with. Oh, that is very true. <laughs> that is a big part of it. Well, by the time you catch it, it's already done. What it you know? Well, and that's a very important thing that when we catch it, not to ridicule ourselves or berate ourselves for not catching it sooner or look at you, you dodo, you're doing it again. That's the time no. to say congratulations. You caught it. You recognizing it. We can move forward now. Yeah. yeah. That's just like the, that's just like the, um, Oh gosh, what do you call it at the end of the concert when people clap and they come back? The encore. That's just the village idiots encore. So you've listened to the show and now there's the encore. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. how how do you catch it? It has a it has a certain paramatha insight. Find the find the qualities of it through paramatha insight. What are the qualities of it? What's the tone? What does that tone sound like? When that tone is chattering away, what, what do you sense happening in your energy system? What do you sense happening in your emotional system? It's a shutting down more than a lifting up, I would imagine. I think sometimes you have a physical reaction to your pulse yes. in your head. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Your blood yes. pressure. Yeah. So try, try to your point, Jody. Yes. You noticing it is, 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 uh, like the, the first, the first challenge or the first practice of insight. And it's very cunning. Boy, is it cunning. My experience has been the more I notice it, just the better it hides, <laughs> the better the hiding places get. So it, it, it takes, you know, it takes discernment. You, it, it, mine feels like a ninja. That's what I tell people. Mine feels like a ninja. Like it's always got this great hiding spot and just ready to come out. But you'll notice it um, if you begin trying to get a sense of those qualities in your energy system and things when it's yammering away. Can, do you mind if I ask you one more question? Yeah. <laughs> My second question. 
I, I just out of, uh, uh, I don't know, interest, I've been reading about cognitive behavioral therapy. Do you find the um, parallels between the energy um, therapy and cognitive behavior therapy? Yes. Yeah, I, I'm starting to see that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, um, a ASAP brings in the subtle energy system, you know, more of an Eastern tradition with CBT, cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy, because when we are feeling sad, for example, okay, we could use any emotion here, but I'm just picking sadness. It has a certain feeling with it. Sadness feels different than depression. Right. What is that? People in ASAP would say that's the, that is how your energy is moving through your subtle energy system. That's what you're, that is what you're sensing. So feeling sadness is, is not a beneficial emotion. So how are we going to change it? Well, we can change it through thinking. We could change it by recognizing thoughts that are catastrophic thinking or black and white thinking. There's different cognitive distortions. We, and we can try and, and appeal to the logic, change your thinking, if, mm. you know, we can do that. And then, and then maybe if the thinking changes, then, oh yeah, you're right. And, you know, and kind of your energy changes or another way in is through changing the energy system. And then the thinking changes. It's mm. just kind of like, what way in are, are we looking at? What, what way in are we going to try? Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Doing I, the things, doing the things that'll change your energy and how well, you feel. Yeah. So you can pair. So for example, when you're tapping, when you're doing this uh, and, and you, you want to uh, like have a, um, let's say a positive, so you're, you're trying to instill a positive thought, um, say one of feeling confidence, you could tap and you could bring in the thinking, I, I am confident. I am enough, you know, moving to the stomach channel. I, 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 you know, I, I've succeeded before coming down here to the, I am enough. And you, you begin to feel a little bit, something beginning to shift a little bit. So that's pairing, that's instilling a positive thought. That's the CBT part of it with the energy part of it, instilling it how by embedding it in your energy system. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I, I read a, a, a lot about uh, the CBT before I met Jen. And then I've seen parallels as we're going through this, going, wow, this really, and then pulled out my my uh, other books and was rereading it going, I see parallels here, but I, I wanted to ask you that question because I thought you would be the, the perfect person who would know that uh, yeah that's great that's that's careless. the hopes the hopes are eventually all the dots will start to connect together mm. uh yeah um thank diane, you diane diane thank you so very much ladies thank you for your questions um i knew this would be a great conversation <laughs> and i and i know it could it could go on for a long time do you have any final thoughts diane before we share your contact information anything you don't want to i don't want you to leave here and say i wish i'd have said that oh i no i i can't think of anything i i like the way that we just kind of let the let this flow you know with questions or different comments and that kind of thing and um i really appreciate everyone's openness you know i know that uh sometimes when we begin to talk about our own egos and our superiority and inferiority and our wrong thinking and all that kind of thing you know it can make us feel a little defensive so I just love have, having these dialogues with um, folks that have an openness where we can discuss it. And uh, the only thing I would just want to say, I guess in closing is just to highlight the fact that if you're not being disciplined, some amount of commitment or discipline to your practice, don't kid yourself of thinking you're avoiding some kind of discomfort because you're, you're just, you're really not. <laughs> I, I just want to encourage folks, whatever your path is, Get, get on the path, get on your path, okay? Whatever your path is, get on the path, baby. You know it. Diane's website is authentic, 
authentic-life.net. That's authentic-life.net. I've looked around at her website and there's incredible uh, articles uh, in her blog, <clears throat> like mindful Christmas shopping, your mental health and politics, basic steps to prevent anxiety attacks. There's really so many great articles in that blog, pages and pages. Please take a look around, see what resonates. There's some great articles there. And Diane offers her email address for any personal questions you may have. And that's Diane at authentic-life.net. Diane at authentic-life.net. We'll send this information out and more tomorrow in the follow-up email, along with the link for the replay. Please visit zenfulconversations.com to sign up for more of the Zenful Conversations where you get to ask the question. Diane, in gratitude and so much peace, uh, you sign your emails in peace. And I just, I love that. I'm going to adopt that myself. So everyone, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for listening. Thank you always for your great questions. We'll see you next time. Namaste. Bye. Namaste. Namaste. Have, a beautiful, have a beautiful day. Thank you, you too. I'll be talking with you. I want to, I'm going to follow up with you, Diane. And um, thank you again so much. Oh, you're Namaste, so welcome. Namaste, everyone. Be well.